Oh, 
time, we'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Most holy God, we thank you that you are greater. Greater than any enemy that comes against us. Greater than any of our guilt and our shame. Greater than our burdens and our struggles and our failures. You are greater. And we come today to worship you and to bow before you in adoration and praise. Father, we also come today acknowledging that in your greatness, you call us to bring before you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts and our lives in this world. And we do so because you invite us. As we gather today, there are many needs and burdens and concerns that we represent. There are grieving hearts here today. May each one know your comforting presence. There are, there are those here and, and connected to us who are struggling with health issues. We pray especially for Gwen Mercer and Bethy Liddick, for Paul Johnson and Phil Main and Dan Gurley, Florence Tuber, for Rosalind Danner and Isabella Doherty, for Gus and Louise Princell, for Nancy Cole and Peter Lingenfelter and Doris Asepi and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson and Bill Getty. Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Emily Cricklar, others who may be on our minds today, may your healing grace be evident. We pray, Father, for our relationships that often become twisted and turned and broken and fractured. And we ask that you would bring your healing grace to restore what only you can do. As we think about the future, we pray, Father, that you would give us peace And a spirit of openness as you lead us and guide us. Lord, we thank you for the ministries of this church. This weekend, as as there are those here and have been around this weekend for alumni and family time together. We thank you for the ministry of the college and the privilege that we have in serving together. And we ask that you would continue to help us in this task. We also want to thank you for the ministries of churches around us. We pray today for the Sojourners Mennonite Fellowship in Belfast and Pastor Connie Finney. Lord, may your grace be upon this gathering of believers. May they know your peace upon them and your power upon them, that they would share your love with each other and with those around them. And Father, we think about our nation and our world. We pray, Father, for, for the, the events that have been taking place in Washington. And we pray for your leading and guiding. And we ask, Father, that you would continue to create a spirit of civility among us, even in our disagreements. And that may that start with your people. Father, we pray for the needs of our nation and our world. We think about those who are affected by tragedies and disasters. People in Puerto Rico continuing to recover and people in the Carolinas and people in other places of the world. And may they sense your help and your people's help as we serve. We pray for places of war and violence and ask that you would bring peace. We pray for refugees, that you would give them safety and security. And may your people be a catalyst for that. And Father, we think about your church around the world. We pray today for Indonesia. We think of this this great nation that you dearly love, affected by another tsunami, and the recovery of that, and, and the ministry of your people in the midst of that. We pray especially for John and Sylvia Christensen and their connections there through Wycliffe Bible Translators. And And for Bethany as she teaches at the school there in Java. And for Paul and Jenny as they work on Batam Island. And all of them, Lord, may your grace be upon them to give them strength and help in their tasks. We pray, Father, for the church in Indonesia. A place of great persecution and opposition. And yet, Lord, a place where we see the church continuing to grow and mature and expand. Father, we pray that your church will be a presence of hope and life, even in difficult circumstances. We thank you for hearing our prayers today. 
We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. And as we sing together, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Yeah.
Our scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus chapter 32, verses 30 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. This is the word of the Lord. It is uh, great to see all of you today, especially welcome those of you who are alumni or family visiting this weekend. It's great to have you here. There are some uh, pads of sheets in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, if you're a guest today, we especially want you to fill those out. You can just leave it in the pew as you leave, and we'll collect them later. Uh, also, you can use those if you want to communicate with the staff interested in the ministry or some things we can pray about for you. Please let us know. Let's take a couple minutes and just uh, stand and greet one another in the name of Christ. My uh, professor at Gordon-Conwell, Haddon Robinson, used to talk to us about, you know, all the jokes that people have about pastors. And, you know, working one day a week and, you know, those kinds of things. And People always say those things as if you've never heard it before, but, you know, we have. Um, but he says that he has some friends who they really like to needle him about it. And he said they'll call him in the middle of the morning and, and say, uh, so I hope I didn't wake you up, uh, you know. And, and one of them, he said, said to him one day, he said, you know, he said, Haddon, he said, you guys got it made. He said, on a good day, you get up, you do a little studying, make a few calls. He said, on a bad day, you roll over and say your prayers. And he said to this guy who called him, he said, well, your comment tells me two things about you. He said, one is, you don't really know very much about the ministry. And the second is, you don't really know much about prayer. I have never forgotten that. And there's something about that comment that it sort of sticks in the back of my mind, not so much about the ministry as about prayer. There is a sense in which I'm not sure we take prayer as seriously as God calls us to. We have a tendency to at least figuratively Go through our prayers as if we are rolling over in bed. They become just a checklist that we make, we make sure we work through. They become something that just sort of is ancillary to our time and our existence. But I think scripture calls us to something more than that. 
It's interesting to me when you read through the scriptures, one of the fundamental ideas that the scripture teaches us is that God is almighty. That there is nothing God cannot do. Psalm, the first verse of, of Isaiah 59 speaks to us about, it says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear you call. The scripture says there is nothing impo- too impossible for God. God can do anything. And we have story after story and prophet after prophet that declares the greatness of God, that there is nothing outside of his ability to do. But there is also a fundamental teaching in Scripture that says God created this world for human beings to be partners with him in accomplishing his purposes. It's one of the most fascinating things to ponder is that the almighty God who knows all, can do all, creates human beings and says to his people, you are the ones through whom my message is going to be communicated. I'm going to work through you to teach the world about me. You see it in Genesis chapter 12 when he calls out Abraham and he says, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. You see a little bit of a different kind of perspective about it in Ezekiel chapter 22, where God looks onto the earth and he says, I look for someone to stand in the gap. And I was amazed that there was no one. God's looking for people to stand in the gap. God creates us. God changes us and transforms us. Not to sit on the sidelines. But to be participants. To be partners with him. In accomplishing his purposes in the world. And in Isaiah 59 verse 16. God again says, I looked and I didn't find what I wanted. And this time it's described as, he said, I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. And the word intervened there is the word that means intercession. He says, I was amazed that there was no one to make intercession for the people who are needy. No one to, to pray for them. No one to stand between in, the, in their need. No one to help them. No one to intercede for them. And I think there is a calling on God's people about the prayers of intercession that I'm not sure we take as seriously as God calls us to. A part of this partnership is interceding Praying for, being engaged with people and circumstances in our broken, needy world. What fascinates me is that same word that's used here in Isaiah 59 is also used in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53 verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the, the phrase laid on him, it means, this, it's the same word, it means to intervene, to be an intercessor. And the Lord has caused him to intercede about our sin. And this is the ministry of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus to come, to stand in the gap, to be the means of us experiencing the, the, the saving work of God in this world. And the thing about that is that Isaiah makes it so clear that the means by which we do that and the calling of being people who pray for one another and engage in intercessory prayer is that it's not rooted in power. It's rooted in vulnerability and compassion. How is it that Jesus intercedes for us? By taking upon himself what we have done. By taking upon himself... Our pain, our burden, our agony, our struggle, our guilt. There is something about intercessory prayer that is calling us to feel what people feel. To hurt the way people hurt. To take the burden that they, that they are experiencing upon ourselves. To be willing to open our hearts in a spirit of compassion and love 
for people who are needy and broken and hurting. People right next to us, people around the world. I will never forget the day. It is almost 39 years to the day that I walked out of the classroom in college and felt like I'd just been run over by a semi-truck. I just walked out of an exam and a a course on the Pentateuch. It was my junior year, uh, first semester of my junior year. I just declared that spring earlier that I was going to responding to the call of God to ministry. And so I was taking my first ministry Bible course. And it was a course in the Pentateuch. And, and our professor was brand new to teaching. He had just graduated from, from Hebrew Union College, a rabbinical school in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he'd come there to teach. And if you've ever had uh, a first year right out of grad school teacher, you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, they, they want you to know everything right at the moment. That everything they've learned in grad school, to, they, they want you to understand it. And the expectations that he had for us on that test blew us all away. I mean, we all just sort of wandered around the hallway waiting for the next part of class, sort of in a daze, like deer in the headlights. And we looked at each other and went, what just happened here? What was that about? I didn't even know what half of those things meant, much less have an answer for it. And I remember a couple of days later going to my mailbox, opening up, pulling out my exam, and dancing around the lobby of, in front of the mailboxes, yelling out, I got a D, I got a D, yes, 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 this is awesome, I got a D. And, and, and I found out later that out of the 25 of us in the class, there were three Bs, one C, five Ds, and 17 Fs. Now you can tell how that has been imprinted in my mind, I can still remember those numbers. And there's a note on my paper, and I found out everybody else's paper, bring your exam to class on Tuesday. So we all kind of slinked into class on Tuesday thinking we were going to get a tongue lashing because we knew we had not studied. We'd never encountered anybody who had expectations on us like this professor did. And so he stood up in front of the class, and he said to us, I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed. And then... We were watching him, and you could see the tears begin to well up in his eyes. And the tears began to run down his cheek. Make me emotional thinking about it. And he said to us, I am so sorry I failed you. And we're looking at each other and thinking, it's not your fault, it's ours. And he said, I am so sorry. I, I, I didn't teach you the way I should have. And he said, if, if, you will, if you will forgive me, and if you decide that you will try to work harder, then I'll throw out this exam and we'll start over again. There were some people after that who dropped the class. But one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to stick with it. I ended up taking seven more classes from this professor over the course of those two years. And actually, that day, sitting there in that class, I was... My, my life academically be, began. I, I, I wanted to learn before I just wanted to do good on a test. I, I wanted to know things, and I was curious. I, I, I finally figured out what that big building was in the middle of campus that had a lot of books in it. I didn't know what that was before. You know? and, and I... And, and, and learning became something of a passion for me. And I, and I wanted to keep growing and keep learning. And what was interesting is that he told us in the midst of that, he said, I've been up for two days praying about what to do about this. And what happened out of his prayers? He felt compassion for us. He began to understand our pain and our inability to understand what he was trying to say. But out of that, it transformed many of our lives. And there is something about intercessory prayer that causes us to feel compassion for people in need. It opens our hearts to their burdens. And, but that can be costly. It's hard to take the burdens of other people on ourselves. It's hard to feel the pain that other people feel. We're wrestling with our own pain. Why would I want anybody else's pain? Because that's what we do. Because that's what Jesus does. 
It's what Jesus does for us. It's what he's calling us to be and to do for other people. And yes, it's a burden. And and here's the thing I want to tell you. When we begin to open our hearts to people and intercessory prayer becomes something that is a part of of our DNA and how we live and think, it will cost us. Not just in, embra- in taking on the pain of other people. It will cost us our time and our energy and our emotions. Because it takes time and energy and emotions to truly engage ourselves in praying for other people. And taking on their burdens and engaging ourselves in their lives. And we're standing in the gap. We're instruments of God. We are, we are connecting. One of God's connecting points between heaven and earth. Or as one writer says, we're part of heaven's invasion into the earth. And that means we are taking upon ourselves and we are investing ourselves in the needs and the burdens of other people. And I've come to the conclusion that if you want to hang on to the stuff that you have, If you want to hoard your time and your energy, if you want to hoard your possessions, if you want to hoard the things and the gifts God's given you, then I would suggest that you not spend much time praying for other people. Because as our hearts get open to other people, God starts asking us to give what we have. Give our time, our energy, sometimes even our possessions and our resources. Because he's working in our hearts too. It's about bearing the burdens of one another. The story of Exodus, and we didn't read all of the story. The, the backstory of this is that it comes out of the whole golden calf incident. And Moses is up on the mountain with God, and they're having this phenomenal 40 days together. And while they're there, God says to him, Hey, you had to head back down because the Israelites are going crazy. And they have taken the gold and, and all and that God gave them from the Egyptians, the blessings of God from the Egyptians. They've taken it, melted it down, made it in the form of a calf, and are now saying, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is the God who rescued us from the Egyptians and slavery. And God says, I've had enough. I'm tired of their complaining and whining and now this idolatrous practice i'm just going to wipe them out and moses i'm going to start again with you you're the only one it seems like that really cares about relationship with me and following me and moses's response stuns me i think if it were me i'd be saying really lord you want to start with me because i got to be honest with you these people are driving me crazy too I mean, the water and the manna and the meat. I mean, come on. You know, enough about leeks and onions. Okay, yes, they were great in Egypt, but, you know, they're killing me, Lord. But Moses says, God, if you decide that you need to end it with them, then take me out too. And it's as though Moses almost literally stands between God and the people and says, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. Almost in the words of Jesus on the cross, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. It's fascinating that the strongest word for forgive in the Old Testament is actually also is the root of it. It means to bear. To forgive is to bear, to take the burden on. And Moses is saying, God, forgive them. Put their burden onto me. Paul does that with with all the churches that he writes to. In Galatians chapter 4, he writes to them about about the pains of childbirth that he is feeling with them. And you know that one of the ways we describe childbirth is bearing a child. And there is this sense of bearing one another's burdens as we pray for each other. The latter part of the 19th century, Amy Carmichael felt a call to go to India. She went and she began working among the people. And one of the things that grabbed her attention right away was the plight of many girls in India. They were in, generally by the culture demeaned and mistreated. But many of them, just because of a variety of circumstances, ended up being prostitutes in the temple. 
And it broke her heart. And so she went to talk to the priest in the temple and says, you got to let these girls go. And he just laughed at her. But she began to, she kept talking to them and badgering them and they wouldn't do anything. And what was most painful to her is that the British government came to her and said, you got to stop rocking the boat. And even her own colleagues and the missionaries came to her and said, look, things are, could be tense. They're calm right now. Stop making waves. It's not our problem. And eventually, after fighting through this, she, she went to the Lord and she began to pray. She said, Lord, it's not my problem. I feel bad about it, but it's not my problem. It's not my burden. I can't do this. I, I can't keep up all the opposition. It's just not my burden. And she said, it's almost as if I heard the audible voice of God say to her, say to me, Amy, you're right. It's not your burden. It's mine. And then she had a vision of Jesus kneeling, not under an olive tree, but under an Indian tamarisk tree. And she looked closer, and the tears were pouring down his face. And she went, and she knelt beside him, and he said to her, Amy, you're right, it's not your burden, it's mine, but I'm just looking for someone who will bear it with me. And the tears began to flow down her face. And she said, Lord, if it's your burden, then it has to be my burden. And she spent the rest of her life giving hope to hundreds and hundreds of girls. It's not easy to take that burden. But it's the call of God. It's the gospel. Sometimes we ask ourselves, you know, what difference does it make? We pray and we pray and we pray. And does anything happen? Does it make any difference? Does anything change? We become so cynical about the world and about people. And we just wonder, is anything any different? Does anything matter? It's in those moments that we need to remember that Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom being like a mustard seed. That looks like nothing and grows into something. And that Jesus tells a parable about growing wheat in a field. And when you plant it, it looks like nothing. And it, and, and it takes time upon time upon time for it to do anything until one day you can harvest the wheat. I think he's telling us in the kingdom, a lot of times it seems as if God's activity is slow and small. But God knows what he's doing. And our responsibility is not to answer people's prayers. Our responsibility is to pray. Our responsibility is to take the burden. Our responsibility is to invest ourselves, to be willing to pay a cost. It's God's responsibility to answer. And we can trust him because we know God is good. And we know God is gracious and merciful. And we're not trying to convince God to do something that he doesn't want to do. We're simply trusting that what God does, when God does it, how God does it, is exactly perfect and right. Because that's who God is. What we're really praying for people is that they would experience the shalom of God. You know, we often translate shalom as the word peace. But it's so much more than that. It means completeness and wholeness. And in a sense, the word shalom really means the full, the essence, the fullness of God. And we are asking God to work in people and circumstances that they would experience the fullness of who he is. And that he would answer our prayers in his time and in his way that God would do in this circumstance, that God would work in this life as he always intended from the very beginning to do good and to be merciful and gracious and compassionate. Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, is, is probably one of the top ten books I've ever read in my life. And if you've not read it, I encourage you to. And in this book, he walks through the the, how we're like the, the two sons, the elder son and the younger son. And he walks us through how much we resemble them. But the real turning point of the book is when he gets to the place and he says, 
it's, it's, it's helpful to us to see ourselves in the two sons. But the real point of the parable is that we are called to be like the father. That we're called to, to be like the father who is compassionate and gracious and forgiving and merciful and loving and embraces his two boys. And that's really the heart of intercessory prayer. We're saying, God, I want to communicate who you are to other people. When I pray, what I really want is for you to be at work in their life. And here's the fascinating thing. When we do that, God works in our lives. God changes us. And we experience the fullness of who he is. And the thing that we have to just always keep in mind is that as much as we might be tempted, as one writer says, to inactive cynic, be inactive cynics, the other temptation is that we are hyperactive messiahs. You see, the calling is not for us to solve everybody's problem. The calling is not for us to be the Christ. I mean, John the Baptist made that very clear. They wanted him to be the Christ, and he said, I am not the Christ. And that's our declaration. I am not the Christ. We are messengers. We are those who stand in the gap or in between. And it's a great privilege and it's a great joy. But we're not the Christ. We're representatives of the Christ. As the Spirit fills us, we hopefully bring the presence of Christ. But we're not the Christ. Because if we think we are, prayer will become a duty and a burden instead of a joy and a privilege. What an amazing privilege to partner with God, to stand in the gap, to be used by God. And the cost that we, the the price that we pay and the cost that we give is nothing compared to the privilege and the joy that we experience. Because as we engage ourselves in prayer, not only is God at work in the lives of those we're praying for, he continues to work in us, changing us, transforming us, drawing us closer and closer to him who is the source of life and hope and everything that he created us to experience and to be. What an amazing privilege to be able to reveal the nature of God to people, to help people experience Jesus in their pain and their brokenness and their hurt and their struggle. This is the 50th year of our preschool. Valley Preschool has been operating for the past 50 years and it's been a great program as part of our church. I'm so grateful for the people who had a vision for starting that preschool. Many of, of our children have been through that preschool, have experienced the joy of being a part of that. And, and I'm excited and I, and I appreciate so much the people who work there. And this year it's especially exciting because our little three-year-old granddaughter, Emma, is a part of preschool. And, a couple, and she loves it. And a couple of weeks ago, the family circumstances worked out that, that I was asked to if I would pick her up after preschool. I thought about it for about a millisecond and said, I would love to pick her up at preschool. And her mom and dad said to her, you know, grandpa's going to pick you up after preschool. And then later I found she kept telling the teachers all morning, grandpa's going to pick me up from preschool. My grandpa's going to pick me up from preschool. So 11.45 came. I walked down the hall from my office to the preschool. And the kids were out in the playground. And I walked out in the playground. And Emma saw me. She came running over. Grandpa, grandpa. You know, I mean, there are lots of great moments in life. That is one I wish I could bottle up and just sniff every day. Because it is an awesome experience. And she came running over to me and she hugged me. And then she did something that I did not expect. She took me by the hand and she walked me over to her teachers and she introduced me to every one of them. (laughs) She said, this is my grandpa. This is my grandpa. This is my grandpa. This is my grandpa. She went to every one of them, introduced me to them. Of course, she doesn't realize I'm friends with these people. I know these people. We work together. 
But she just wanted to introduce me to them. And two days later, I was reading Philip Yancey's book on prayer, and he told a story about a woman who says that in their church, the rector says to them, whenever you pray for someone, envision yourself taking them by the hand and presenting them to Jesus. And I thought to myself, that's it. I mean, that's really the essence of what we're doing. That's why we invest ourselves. That's why we give of ourselves. Because it's a privilege and the joy that God's giving us of helping people encounter Jesus. And we're going to take just a few moments this morning to engage ourselves just a couple of minutes to think about how God might be burdening our hearts for people in a need. And then we're going to come to this table. And at this table, we see so clearly what God has done for us in Christ. And we are reminded at this table that Jesus has ascended to the Father and as the book of Hebrews tells us, is continually interceding for us as we intercede for others. Let's just take a moment or so to ask God to open our hearts to the needs and the burdens, to give us a willingness, a desire, a passion to be intercessors for Him, for His kingdom. Father, we thank you for the privilege of standing in the gap. We thank you that we have that privilege because of Jesus. We pray, the Father, this morning, as we come to this table, that we would know the joy and the life that is ours in Christ. As we eat and drink, may your blessing rest upon us. And may we see anew and hear anew your call on our lives and the privilege of being your servants. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning we are receiving communion by the mode of intinction. It means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat or if you simply prefer that way. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you need those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time that you have ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire in your heart to follow Christ and to know Him and to be known by Him, then come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
price given for you. Come reach 
with a song of healing and they will know us by our love the time is now come church arise come with his hand see with his eyes the little around you let it never They will know us by our love. Mighty blood of Christ given for you. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.